Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Black Health Podcast. Uh, this is Matthew. I'm joined by the Black Health team. It's Paula. Mercy. And Hey. Hey, y'all. What's up? It's been a minute since we checked back in. Looking forward to <laughs> today's conversation. Uh, before we get started on kind of our health topics of the day, we have some updates. We're all in Atlanta. Team is reunited and it feels so good. (laughs) We've been uh, in two different cities for the past year. Um, So it feels really good for us all to be together. Uh, We spent uh, last Saturday like the whole day together, uh, which was really fun. Uh, Planning some events and some things for you all. So we're really excited uh, to continue to work towards health equity. Um, are there any other team updates? We're also going to spend this upcoming Saturday together, but uh, more for hey. Khadija's birthday. birthday. Yeah. Yeah. birthday. <laughs> I feel like all our birthdays are like so close Yeah, together. it's like birthday nice. season around yeah. here. Yeah. It's birthday season. August just... through September, mm-hmm. Matt starts it off, Khadija finishes it off. You gotta have a strong start. To back. And then yeah, you guys got the two man. Leos. <laughs> no, right. she's a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. I said two Leos. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you can. You're not included, dog. I don't want to be because <laughs> we all know that Virgos are the best. Uh-huh. <laughs> just ask Beyonce. Too sure. Yeah, I had this debate with my family. It's reminding me because Jennifer Lopez is a Leo, mm. and we were talking about who's a better dancer, Beyonce or J Lo. What? And I was like. <laughs> I like was like, what are we talking about? Beyonce would dance circles around Jennifer Lopez, but literally like everybody in my family was like, No, Jennifer Lopez is like a trained dancer. Like that's her thing. She dances. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But like everybody was like, You're crazy. No, Jennifer Lopez is a way better dancer than Beyonce. But this idea that Beyonce's not a trained dancer because she didn't train when she was a child. Like, I, she's a trained dancer. She, like, yeah. has like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she'd be dancing for, like, two and a half hours. Exactly. Like, she was on, on the run dancing for her life. But you think if it was just, like, they was in the street and got into, like, a dance battle. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do think, I will say that. I do think, like, maybe J-Lo's probably, like, a better freestyle dancer. Okay. And Beyonce is more, like, I need choreography. Okay. Type dancer. I see. Okay. Did y'all watch that show <laughs> Dance 360 that no. Kel, Kel hosted it? No. Like from Keenan and Kel? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know him without the Keenan and. But yeah. Was a black show? Um, I, I guess. There were black people on it. <laughs> I don't think I heard of that Is it the one show. drop rule for shows? Yes. No. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. Well, <laughs> um, well I'm a Libra. Um, and some celebrity Libras include Kim Kardashian. Trash. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Vladimir Putin. Trash. I'm asking a real shady for you guys right now. <laughs> this is like the, the sociopath. Sign. Right. Narcissist <laughs> list. But you're not a narcissist. You gotta get another one. Um, right. You're scrolling now. Wait, all right, hold on now. Serena Williams. Okay, that's okay. Will Smith. Okay. okay. Ronald Glover. Very okay. likable people. Okay, okay. All right, all right, you, you come back. Yourself. Yeah. You have come redeemed back. yourself. You're in good company. <laughs> What's his best friend? Hillary but that goop thing she got going on. Oh, yeah. Goop? Yeah. You ever heard of goop? 
No, what no. is that? Look up goop. It's her fake health yeah. thing. It's basically the opposite of black health. White health? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is she like an anti-vaxxer? Or? I don't think it's that bad, but it's just like a lot of this like, oh, spend all of this money on these things in this retreat oh, and so around she's... the goop brand. Mm. And so she's a scammer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's what she said. It Crystals like... and body alignment. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it just sounds like, oh, you know inexpensive like health thing for like yeah. rich people in California or something. That sounds yeah. like And California. people are like suing now because they're like you said that this was going to do this and it actually doesn't. They're suing Gwyneth? Yes. <laughs> or Goop or whatever. What kind of name is Gwyneth? <laughs> what kind of name is oh. Goop? <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly. So I'm not even gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. I guess we're off topic. <clears throat> Yeah, so we also had uh, a few events recently. Um, I know we had an Ask a Doctor event where we taught people about uh, diabetes and really provided information on heart health. Um, had How to some navigate resources. your doctor's appointments. Paula, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, event? we did. A, um, like we had pharmacists come in and we did a brown bag medication review so they sat down with people and looked at all their different medications like people brought in their medications the pharmacist went over them with them um and then we also had a blood pressure screening and then we transitioned into like this facilitated discussion that was like around how you can be better prepared for your doctor's visits and it was really cool. We got everybody in groups and really got them talking. And some of the things that they said were just, like, really smart. Like, they said, you know, be honest with your doctor. Uh, you should come prepared with, like, a list of questions or things you want to talk about. Like, write it down beforehand so that you don't forget or get overwhelmed while you're in the doctor's, doctor's office. And also, like, know your medical history. Come prepared with all of that. Um, yeah, and then after... We did the discussion, we did a panel with a lot of the pharmacists, and we got some really good resources and stuff out of that, and so we are going to be sending out a resource list soon to people that attended the event. Hold on, I'm trying to pull it up. Yeah, we'll send it out to people who attended. Uh, we're also going to put it on our blog, um, or our, our, probably our resource page. Uh, so that people mm -hmm. can access those resources. <clears throat> yeah, and some of the things that they said were that, the, and actually I didn't know this, but pharmacists at drugstores provide free consultations when they are on duty. Mm -hmm. So you can just go in there and ask to speak to a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. um, there are often classes in the community on diabetes, like insurance companies offer classes, uh, public health departments, Students, a lot of times in medical programs and public health programs, will provide classes. Um, and then you can also ask your doctor or, like, the receptionist in the doctor's office, like, what classes or, like, group sessions and things like that are available around um, whatever disease or illness or whatever that you may or your uh, loved one may be dealing with. Um, and then you can also make use of the technologies that are available to help manage different aspects of diabetes such as like the insulin pump, glucose meters, glucose sensors, and mobile apps. All of these things, you can use them together and just keep track of your blood pressure. I know my dad does this, and he like sends us, um, like he, I think he uses 
is it, I guess a glucose meter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so he'll send us, and I think he has a blood pressure cuff. So he'll like send out a text, a group text to everybody in the family, like whatever his blood pressure was and his sugar and stuff like that. So he keeps us updated. It's really funny. Yeah, um, my dad um, yeah. <laughs> just told me that he has a some like a glucose monitor. Mm. I, I guess he has to self prick himself. Yeah, and, like mm. to test his blood sugar, but that information is automatically like uploaded to the cloud and his doctor actually has access to that. Cool. And can like track, track his um, mm-hmm. blood sugar, sugar over time. Um, so he went to get a checkup like two weeks ago and she's like, his, his doctor was like, I need <clears throat> you to do this more. Like I need more blood samples. Wow. Um, he was doing relatively well, mm-hmm. but she was like, I, w- I would, I would like to monitor this more, which is just really cool. Is how technology, yeah. you know, provides access. Mm-hmm. Um, for people to kind of stay stay abreast of their health, um, and if something is really wrong, like I'm sure the doctor would get a notification, and you mm-hmm. know, there could be a, mm-hmm. a, a, an intervention point that comes out of that, which is really cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like my dad will be like, "Oh, every time I eat some chicken, <laughs> my, my blood sugar goes up." So like now he it helps him really know like what to eat and what not to eat. He knows like what spikes mm-hmm. it, and also he says stress does too. So. Mm-hmm. When he does like long road trips or stuff like that, like he already knows. So, but still, it's really good to like just get that like instant feedback, right? Make you aware. Mm-hmm. Very cool. We also had a, another event. Uh, we hosted a discussion presentation at Morehouse College. Uh, Marcella, do you want to talk a bit about that? Um, sure. Yeah. So. It was really cool. This is actually our second time speaking. They have a student health leadership sum- leadership summit at Morehouse, and they basically gather all of the student leaders on campus, so SGA, the RAs, um, peer leaders mm-hmm. from like peer organizations and things like that. People who just really, you know, come in contact with the student body and pe- the student body look to them as leaders on campus. Um, so we have trainings and we hosted a session about like stress management and mental health and it was very cool. Um, students got good information. They had great questions. We had a little role play activity for them. The second group got really into the role playing. Like they made up their own little handshake and was body, body bumping. Is that what they call it? <laughs> body bumping. <laughs> it, was a hand, it was like a handshake that required a chest bump. Um, I mean, but they just <laughs> Body <laughs> they like jumped in the air so it was oh, like their whole body it wasn't okay. just their chest okay. you know they like jumped up and but whatever well, what was that yeah what Very was what the one dude said oh he uses sex as a coping mechanism yes he uses sex as a coping mechanism and um he said he likes to have him a drink and a cigar and i'm like how old are you dude like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sound like a grown man this might be a little off topic but I saw a tweet the other day mm-hmm. when I was checking the Black Health Twitter. Um, I'm the twist. That said, men don't want to have sex with women. They want to masturbate with their bodies. Oh, I saw that. That explains why a lot of was, women don't have orgasms from vaginal sex with men. Yeah. Notice I said with men. But that's a topic for another day. <laughs> I'll talk, yeah. but that reminded me because he said that he uses sex as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those poor girls. Yeah, it's real. Side <laughs> side side note on Netflix, there's a series called Explain, 
and a recent one talks about the female orgasm and it shows data about how like women who have sex with men orgasm less than women who have sex with other women because y'all think ooh y'all don't care (laughs) don't care I I actually watched that my parents listen to this I'm sorry go ahead oh no okay I'll tell my personal business later I was actually watching that episode with a friend of mine and we were talking about it and I was like yeah that's common because a lot of men tend to get like their sexual advice from porn and he looked at me like oh and then said well how else are we supposed to learn and I was like well how about you ask the woman what she likes and he looked at me like I had just Wait, sorry, dropped who? a whole new bomb who were you talking to? It's not important. (laughs) (laughs) Anonymous anonymous Joe. Yeah. Wow, that's sad. But a grown up, a grown man. A grown man. Yes, yes. 29 years old. Wow. Um, Wow. Been having lots of sex, and apparently I opened a whole new window for him. Shout out to you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, back on track. Khadija, this is your (laughs) first time uh, doing kind of the Morehouse. Uh, stress management, mental health education. This is this was our second time at Morehouse. Um, what did you think about kind of the day, the event? Yeah, it was super dope. Um, and I felt like the students were really engaged and had a better grasp of like stress management and mental health than I honestly probably did in undergrad. So mm-hmm. um, it was really cool. And it also, it's really, I think, the fact that, like, Morehouse is a HBCU, like, it's black men there. I think there's really, like, a, it's really, like, a community, and I feel like that mm-hmm. really helps in, like, mental health support. So, like, a lot of the stuff we talked about during our session was around, like, peer-to-peer support, and I think that um, the students there, like, are probably better equipped to do, like, peer-to-peer support because it's more of, like, a community mm-hmm. than other schools. So, it was cool. I liked it. Yeah. So, shout out to Morehouse. Yeah. yeah shout out to Morehouse. Shout yeah, out to we- AUC Chill, uh, which is their on-campus kind of peer-to-peer support group mm-hmm. uh, doing great things on campus. Yeah, absolutely. And our friends over at ASQ Youth for putting this whole event together. Yeah. I think it's really cool how, like, we've been able to get so many opportunities through Morehouse. Yeah. Um, they've just really been a good connection for us to have, and it's just it's just really dope, and I love it. I love working with that group, that mm-hmm. population. And um, my my boyfriend is a Morehouse man. Is it is that what you call him? They're yeah. over. They're graduated. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. he's a Morehouse man, and we were just <laughs> laughing because he was like, "You go to my alma mater more than I do." Like, and I'm like, "Yeah, I be up there all the time, like, <laughs> <laughs> like around campus." I'm like, "That's so cool." Like, yeah. I feel cool. Honorary <laughs> AUC. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our. Uh, health discussions for this podcast. I'm going to start things off. So last week, uh, there was Hurricane Florence uh, hit the eastern coast of the United States, I guess sort of the south as well, uh, mainly North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Virginia as well, and then I think it went up the coast Mm -hmm. to DC DC as well, Um, and then back out to the ocean. Um, I think the estimated cost of damage 
is right around $20 billion right now, which is a lot of money. Um, it's going to take those areas a really long time to recover. Um, luckily, um, you know, there was enough warning so people were able to evacuate. Um, there hasn't been as large as a death toll as there could have been um, in other hurricanes. Um, but unluckily, and uh, I guess not even lucky, it was planned, in South Carolina, they did not evacuate their prisoners. Mm. Um, North Carolina and Virginia, both um, all of the prisons or jails that were in the mandatory evacuation zone, they got their prisoners out of there. Uh, South Carolina decided that it would be too much trouble uh, to try to get their prisoners out, um, and so they just mm. left them. Mm. Um, and we all we all know the ills of the prison system. A lot of those men and women um, are black people of color, um, and we know that prisons in general are just not safe environments for people. Um, facilities are usually bare minimum, pretty poor. Um, in Katrina, hurricane during Hurricane Katrina, people died in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm. people were a lot of people were left. <clears throat> you know, with Floods inside the jails, inside the prisons. Mm-hmm. There's no running water, no access to food for days on end, um, and so it really just it really just struck me because it just shows how we treat prisoners as if they're not even really citizens yeah. of the country mm-hmm. anymore. Um, that they don't deserve the same protections as people who are free, um, and it's just it's it's really interesting uh, because the majority of those people are black. Mm-hmm. Um, black people are overrepresented. In the, in the prison population, I should say. Um, 13? Yeah, check out 13. It's a, I, it took me a long time to watch 13. It was rough. Yeah, yeah. it's heavy. <laughs> it's a really heavy documentary. Um, but even in the face of, you know, danger, where, you know, we're supposed to come together, you know, the institutions that we've set up to protect us mm-hmm. um, don't act in our best interest. It's, it's really sad to see. Um, and so I know that Prison health isn't something that I've thought a lot about, but I think that's something I'm probably thinking more about moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're there, like jails and prisons are their own small worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people people forget about people that are in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just don't care about people in prison. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have a lot of feelings about this, <laughs> this topic. <laughs> Um, but one thing I could recommend is listen to the podcast Ear Hustle. Have y'all listened to that? Oh, okay. Not it's, this specific one, but there's one about jails? or Ear Hustle is based in San Quentin okay. uh, prison facility. Um, and it's this woman who comes in and she like has been a volunteer there mm-hmm. for almost a decade, I think. And then it's one of the uh, prisoners. Um, and so they're on the mic together. And then they also bring in other people to come and tell their stories and stuff, too. So San Quentin is kind of different because they have, um, like, a lot of programs. And so basically they said, like, a lot of prisoners, like, wait, like, years to get into San Quentin specifically because they just have a lot more services. So that's why they're able to kind of, like, do a podcast there. Mm-hmm. But still, like, you know, it's people sharing their experiences. And when I tell you, it's, like... I think it's the best podcast that's, like, out there. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Like, it's so entertaining. These men, like, their stories are just so real. And, like, I mean, I just think it's also produced really well, too. Um, but, like, it'll have you laughing. It'll have you crying. Like, I mean, like, every episode of Ear Hustle, I listen to it as soon as it comes out. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it just speaks to like the, like the fullness of people's lives, like even in prison. And it's just because like you, like humans are humans. Like you can't like, you know, you can't, you don't stop being a person because you go away um, to, to jail or whatever. And so, yeah. And, and just when I saw, like I saw um, the article about how they weren't evacuating the prisoners um, in the hurricane and um, I just thought like, I was like, damn, like this is, this is environmental racism at play because we live in this racist country with these racist structures specifically the prison industrial complex is a very racist structure Mm -hmm. and when that structure mixes with a natural disaster you get prisoners who die like in hurricane katrina and i don't know if any prisoners died as a result of this hurricane there haven't been any prisoners yeah fortunately like thank god but like um, they could have, you know, and it's just like mm-hmm. l- letting those people be at risk and who knows if, you know, uh, just like something was <clears throat> flooded, a, a facility got flooded or, you know, like, I mean, it could be all types of after effects, just not necessarily might not have been a death right now, but I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just like kind of fucked up that people are living in these kinds of conditions. Um, and then the, the other thing I was going to say is on, uh, the John Oliver, his last week tonight, that show mm-hmm. on HBO, mm-hmm. he just did a segment, um, like his main segment, you know how he like does one issue, um, main issue. And so it was about how, um, like convicted felons who are now free and out and everything like that, like they can't vote basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some states that do allow people to vote after a certain amount of time, maybe like some years or so. Um, but there are a few like Florida that like, you just have to go through this really ridiculous process and then you're not guaranteed to have your voting rights restored. Um, yeah. And so it was really funny, like the way he kind of like talked about it, but at the end of the day, it's like just really like messed up and it's just, it's really arbitrary. Like it's just up to the governor of Florida to be like, yeah, sure. I like you. You can vote now. Or no, I'm good. Never. You can you go home. You can't vote. And so it's just like, it's just ridiculous that like, you know, people serve their time and then they, they come out and, and like, oh, and then he had, he showed clips of people being like, no, I don't think that felons should be able to vote because like, you know, whatever, like, they deserve it yeah (laughs) yeah they're people and it's like they're they're paying taxes and so it's another Mm. thing that he talked about is like taxation without representation so it's just like that's like a vestige of slavery so it's just it yeah it's it's really and i and it like with the prisoners stuff like for me i get really if i get too deep in it it just makes me like almost depressed and it makes me so angry it makes me just feel like like, I need to just throw away everything in my life and dedicate my life to this. But it's such a hard problem because, really like, problem. people do not give a fuck about prisoners. So it's yeah, like, yeah. what oh my, Like what can we do? They like It's like they deserve it because they did. They're murderers. They're rapists and stuff like that. But, yeah. But it's not even murder or rapists. Like, they, a lot even of if it people, is, they're people. Right. But, yeah. yeah. People. But a lot of these people <laughs> are in jail for petty drug Exactly, drugs, exactly. Violent offenses. Not that violent offenders deserve to be treated less than Less than right, that's my point. Um, I'm not advocating for murders and rapists. No, 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 but I get like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I do want to shout out your white voice earlier. I like that. Um, <laughs> that's literally what the girl sounded like. You saw the clip. She, it was a white girl saying that for real. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think one of the things that I took away from the 13th is like, in this country, it's one of the only countries where you go to prison, you go to prison, and you leave prison. And, like, you really exist kind of in this still, like, quasi-prison environment because mm. it's tough for you to get a job. You can no longer vote. 
And so you literally become a second-class citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just tough. And, and I think being in prison, like, prisoners know that there's a hurricane coming. And they're just like, oh, you don't oh. value my life enough yeah. to even let us leave, let us transport us somewhere else. And also, like, there are people who work there. Right, mm-hmm. and so you have blue collar people who are who have to That's work, who have to show up and come to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably think disproportionately people of color. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure, of course. Um, and this also kind of ties into um, so when the wildfires were occurring in California, mm. um, and in general, when mm. wildfires happen, they have imprisoned individuals Put like the fighting the fires. <laughs> Um, yeah, that. yeah, so that's like crazy. Less than like yeah. a dollar a day or something crazy, right? Right, like yeah. Not making no money either. Um, so yeah, it's literally like slavery, right? Um, and that is so dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. dangerous. Yeah, and then it's like no. Another issue with it is that there's no pathway to becoming a firefighter when you get out, right. and actually you can't because you were right. a pri- yeah. you yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a sentence or a record. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Got the most intense job experience, but I can't get that job. <laughs> right, I put out whole forest fires. <laughs> but I shouldn't laugh, but I mean, it's like it's, it's laughable because it's just so absurd. It's yeah, it's crazy. All right, mm-hmm. let's not get too deep into that. I think it's a hot topic. Khadija, I know that you have something really interesting for us to talk about. Um, Yeah, this is a little more positive slash actionable. Um, So I hope this is a call of action for all of our listeners to um, register to vote. Or if you are unsure if you're registered, um, you can check on USA.gov to check your status if you're registered or not. If you're not registered, you can register. But in November, there are midterms. There's some, there's a lot of seats up um, in November. Um, there's some really um, important guber- gu- I tried to say this last podcast. <laughs> yeah. Gubernatorial races Gubernatorial. coming up, including Georgia. So everyone that lives in Georgia, um, I hope that you vote. Can Stacey Abrams. I, I hope that you do your due diligence and your research yes. and then vote there's, for Stacey Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, who's the alternative? I don't even know. I don't even know. Oh, okay. who's Some loser. I mean, that would be amazing, yes. though. That would be a historic... Yes, yeah. first yeah. black woman right, governor yeah. in my history. Black, my mayor black. Yeah. Come on, Keisha and Stacey. <laughs> 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 yeah, those are like some black girl up the block names. I love yes. it. Yes, and Stacey is a stone alum. So, oh, yeah. shout out to HBCU because we get it done. Ooh, hey, Hampton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was my little call to action. But, um, there are two like pretty historic um, things that have happened in the policy world around like black women's health that I want to call out so everyone's aware of. Um, so the first is um, earlier in September, um, the Black Women's Health Imperative, which is a super dope organization that's up in DC, 
um, they released a national policy agenda for black women's health priorities. Um, so it's called the 2018 National Health Policy Agenda. Um, and the purpose of it is to ensure that the health needs of black women and black girls are addressed in federal and state on federal and state levels during the 2018 and 2020 election cycles. Um, so it's really the first of its kind to specifically call out um, black women and black girls and um, specific um, items to look out for when you vote um, that advance health equity for black women and black girls. Really cool. Yeah, and so, like, they have, like, the agenda itself, um, and then they also have a two-page report card that you can use to assess candidates against their agenda. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, do they, like, say they're going to do X, Y, and Z, yes or no? Um, so I'm definitely going to be using that in November. Um, but their agenda is broken up into four pillars. Um so the first is access to quality and affordable health care. So some of the agenda items under that pillar include um, like preserving and improving the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, um, expanding Medicaid in all 50 states, mm -hmm. um, improving um, access to um, high-quality maternal and infant health resources, um, and then obviously some stuff about around reproductive health and um, abortions and supporting candidates that um, support policies around um, reproductive justice. Um, and then their second pillar is equitable responses to public health emergencies. So um, this includes access to clean water. Um, Flint still doesn't have clean water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, and supporting the end to cash bail, which is something that um, mm -hmm. a lot of candidates are starting to bring up this cycle, which is super awesome. Mm -hmm. um, support of mandatory testing and disclosure of ingredients and beauty products and menstrual care products. Yes! Because we know those things are poisoning us. Yes. Um, I just terrible. switched to organic tampons. I need to. Target has a good brand. Really? Mm -hmm. What makes a tampon, or sorry, organic? Um, well, it's just like pure cotton. So yeah. like the tampons that are on the market now are often like bleached mm. material. And it's not yeah. 100% cotton. But these are 100% non-bleached, non-pesticide, all that bad right. stuff. Cotton. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I use the Diva Cup. It's um, interesting. Oh. But I like it. <laughs> Matt, do you know what do you know what the menstrual cup is? I do. Oh, wow. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it could be messy. <laughs> um, the third pillar is sufficient diversity in clinical research. Um, so just in general, like when it comes to clinical research, like black people are not equally like represented in trials mm -hmm. um and then there's also just been a a shit ton of um of medical racism and like research like scientific racism when it comes to black people involved in 
um, clinical trials. So um, that's their third platform. And then Mercy's going to like this. Their fourth platform is to increase funding to support HBCUs. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Give us all the dollars! <laughs> Give Mercy a raise. Really? <laughs> <laughs> or at least some support staff, Lord. Um, so, yeah. So, as you all are researching candidates, I think it'd be really helpful to look at this report card. Um, and I think a lot of these things that they're advocating for are, like, promote health equity in general. Like, they're mm -hmm. not, like, only going to benefit black women. Um. So yeah, so there's that. And then also, there were two recent acts that were introduced um, over the past few months that promote um, black maternal health um, that I just wanted to call out real quick. Um, so in August, Senator Kamala Harris from California Thank introduced you. the Maternal Care Access and Reducing Emergencies Act the CARE Act, and the purpose of that is to um, end preventable maternal mortality and morbidity and reduce racial disparities in maternal health outcomes through evidence-based quality improvements, such as implicit bias training and pregnancy medical homes, which mm. that's like, this is me kind of walking out in like the policy and like <laughs> payer side, but like mm. that would be so cool if there is like a patient-centered medical home model for, like, pregnancy. pregnancy. That would be. And it's so needed and so yes. weird that there's, that's not there's thing, not. but... Are um, birthing centers kind of Yeah, like yeah. Or is it, but that's only for, like, just, like, birth, though. Right. Um, and, yeah, so... Um, as you all may know or may not know, um, black women have much worse maternal health outcomes and also like black uh infants babies um so we're three to four times more likely to die from um childbirth than our white women peers um so it's, i think it's really critical to introduce on like a policy level some um really intentional um like systematic changes to uh, address like black women's health needs and then prior to that um in may i believe um the mothers and offspring mortality and morbidity awareness act or the mama act was introduced um and that was introduced um yeah no that was smart yeah um, i think you have to start with the acronym first and then yeah um, and so that was introduced um, as a collaboration between Black Mamas Matter Alliance, which is another super dope organization, um, and Congresswoman uh, Robin Kelly. Um, so that also aimed to help shift the trajectory of Black maternal health in the U.S. Um, and had some similar um, action items attached to it around um, just improving black maternal health. So I just wanted to call out all these policy things that are happening yeah, and also yeah. just call out, like, there are literally things, like, you all can do to help promote health equity for black women and black people and people in general. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's, that's really great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll put um, 
links to all these things in the description, um, especially the report card. Yeah. I think that'll be really cool for people to use mm -hmm. as they head out, uh, as they do their research for, for the upcoming election. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's good because I feel like on one of our previous episodes, Mercy, you talked a lot about mm -hmm. just the statistics around um, black maternal and child health. And yeah. so it's cool to kind of have mm -hmm. this like update on, on what's being done about it um, because it has been being talked about a lot. So mm -hmm. it's good to see some action. So it just shows like if we advocate for things, if we're loud about it, mm -hmm. you know, we can get some change going. So. Yeah. We also uh, went to that event at CARE. Mm. Oh, yeah, right, right. Mm. That was talking about kind of maternal health, specifically in the context of Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, but tying it to kind of the national um, trends, but also the trends around the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in some places, um, the rates of kind of death or, or near-death experiences can be similar to um, countries who are supposedly not supposed to be as well off as the United States. Right. And so it was interesting to hear that conversation. I learned a lot there, you know, just mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. different models of the way that we give birth. And I think, Paula, you brought up there just how medicalized it is here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and how it's really not as seen as like a, a human thing. It's just right. seen as the process to get this baby out of this object. Like an emergency. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been seeing a lot and learning about, a lot about this issue. It's been really cool. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of black women, uh, my topic today is on like the epidemic of violence and murder of transgender um, people, specifically women and black women um, in America. So just like uh, setting the picture of some stats. So like last year was the deadliest year on record for trans people. Um, so 28 transgender people were murdered in 2017. So far this year, uh, we're in September now, so 21 trans wow. people have been killed, um, and that's mostly people of color. Uh, also, the numbers could be higher because the police and media often misgender people, mm -hmm. and just in general, like some homicides <clears throat> aren't reported at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually, yeah, I wasn't too familiar with this so I don't yeah but maybe people in the listeners know more or have heard more about this but there was just like this really uh, particular string of violence against black transgender women in Jacksonville Florida mm -hmm. uh, 36 year old Celine Walker was found shot to death in a hotel room 38 year old Antasha English was found wounded near an abandoned house and she later died at the hospital and 24-year-old Catalina Cristina was found shot to death at a hotel also. And then there was another woman um, who was shot five times during a domestic dispute, but uh, fortunately she lived. Um, and so this is something I've been seeing being tweeted around this particular stat, but the life expectancy of trans women of color um, today in 2018 is 35 years old. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, so... The life expectancy for black Americans was 33 years old in 1900. Wow. Uh, currently, the life expectancy for black people is 75. So just 75 years old for black people with all of the things that we know that we face um, just as a group. And then if you think about transgender women of color, it's 35 years. So that just shows like there's like 
huge issues that are um, cutting short the life of trans women. Um, and so, like, I, um, yeah, so I've learned a lot from people who I follow on Twitter and just, like, other podcasts that I listen to. And so I just really think, like, the reason that the lifespan of transgender Americans is cut so short is basically due to just, like, widespread socially accepted hate mm-hmm. for them, mm-hmm. um, a.k.a. transphobia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the police and the media often misgender people in official reports and news stories and, um, dead name them, which means they use the person's old name, not the name that they chose for themselves that, Mm -hmm. you know, represents who they are and their, um, their correct gender. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that just contributes to the idea that their gender and their name aren't real and they don't need to be respected, Mm -hmm. um, socially or in law. Um, and so, and then like just being transgender leads to a lot of job discrimination mm-hmm. and there aren't laws that like explicitly protect transgender people from discrimination. So that definitely leads to food and housing insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just generally they don't have access to, um, safe access to public spaces, um, in the way that other people, cisgender people do. Um, like, you know, we've all heard these stories about transgender people being harassed in bathrooms, mm-hmm. um, at restaurants or like at school. Um, and that just puts them at a larger risk of violence and just, you know, puts them at the margins of society in pretty much every possible way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that there, I've also seen this kind of thinking line of thinking come up but like why should we care as Mm -hmm. black people particularly like you know cisgender um you know and or heterosexual black people um also like if you don't know what cisgender is it means like when your gender like is it like the gender you were born with or like the gender Mm -hmm. you identify with is the same as like your i guess I don't, is it like yeah. that yeah, you were born right. with? Yeah. Okay, like yeah. is that the way to like compare it? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could say assigned at birth. Assigned, yeah, assigned right. at birth. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and so it's it's just basically you're not transgender um, is what cisgender means. And so like, you know, I see, and so sometimes people shorten it and say cis, C-I-S. Um, and so, yeah, I've just seen people who don't understand that term get upset when it's used, but it's just... Yeah, it just means you're not transgender. And so, yeah, Um, so just spreading awareness about that. Um, And so, yeah, back to like what I was saying, like, why should we care as um, non-transgender people or whatever? Um, You know, I just feel like for me, the answer is really obvious, um, which is just that, like, we should all care about human rights, you know, like whether we are explicitly advocating for our racial group or our sexual orientation or, you know, um, gender class or people or whatever, um, whatever other marginalized identity, like, we should just in general care about all people. Um, But just additionally, like, black transgender people deal with transphobia and Mm -hmm. anti-blackness. They are particularly vulnerable amongst both the black community and the trans community. They're more likely to be homeless, food insecure, um, and then participating in criminalized employment, like um, selling drugs or being sex, wor- sex workers. 
um, and just ultimately more likely to be killed because of race-based and transphobic violence. Um, and so I just personally, I don't believe you can say things like Black Lives Matter if you aren't like an active ally um, to all the different types of black people mm-hmm. and especially black transgender people because we see that they're like literally being murdered over their identity. And so it's a problem. It's an epidemic. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like, like thinking of like things that we can do. Um, I just think maybe one of like the most powerful things that we can do like right now is to like really check ourselves and like actively rid ourselves of transphobia because it's so normalized in society. Um, and so really like educating yourself about what transphobia is, what it would look like to not be transphobic and, and work on yourself to get there. Um, so like when you see those like ignorant ass Twitter conversations that are like, if you was dancing with a chick, and then you find out she's a man, what would you do? Like, don't yeah, entertain don't that shit. Don't engage. Don't, <laughs> don't engage that shit. Block that person. Like, or I mean, say something to them, especially if you're a man and like a like a, a cisgender heterosexual man, like black man, and you see maybe another black man who's saying something like this, like that would be a perfect opportunity for you to say something because a lot of times we see like men only listen to other men and they only listen to other men that they I didn't can like look to them to be heterosexual. Um, and so that's just a good way to like use your privilege to try to like, you know, have people listen to you when they would not listen to a woman or Mm -hmm. a gay man or, um, a transgender person. Um, so yeah, like just don't entertain these like transphobic scenario type of things. Um, and just, I know if, Yo, mama, if you were, if your mama named you Adam, I'm gonna call you Adam. And it's right. Like, but he, his mama ain't telling you to call him. She is now telling you how to address her. Exactly. I've had to check men, but you know, like yeah. you said, they don't listen. Yeah, so. they're like, you feminist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just down for whatever. You don't care. Like, you just let anybody be whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah, because what if. Like, what does that have to do with you? How is that affecting your right. life, how they choose to identify or live their life? Like, Yeah. Yeah. So, like, stand up for trans people. Uh, read things that they write. Um, like, follow them on Twitter. Read their articles and things that they say about their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, and engage with them in a way that you're trying to learn, not argue. Um, I would also say pay them if you are in a position to employ other people. Um, you know, look for ways to employ transgender people. And, it, like, at the very least, definitely make sure the work environment is not um, transphobic. Uh, definitely, like Mercy was saying, like, don't misgender people. Don't dead name them. Dead name people. Um, check other people around you when they're being transphobic. Um, I think also, you know... If at the very least it's really hard for you to like do any of that shit, like at like leave transgender people alone, like yeah, you know, like stop, <laughs> yeah, like stop asking them what their private parts are doing or look like. Don't harass them in the bathroom. Yeah. Stop uh, fetishizing them. Don't be like, oh girl, you are killing it. Like you know, like you don't have to like overhype. Like I saw yeah. um, on that show, um, random acts of flyness. Like there was a um, a woman on there who was talking about how like you know, someone, like, 
people just like kind of overhype her sometimes because they know like she's trans and so it's like she's like that feels very alienating to me too like I just Mm want to be normal I don't want you to always be in my face talking about oh killing it bitch yes like that's like it's too much you know like yeah you you look nice (laughs) yeah like you would I mean you know I mean everybody likes like you know compliments and stuff like that but like you know people can tell people can tell like when you're coming from a place of like oh I'm I'm doing too much you know Mm -hmm. on purpose for a reason because I I'm othering you basically right um and then I mean you know going back to like policy stuff like don't vote again vote against things that restrict transgender people's rights like um bathroom bills and all that bullshit like don't you know don't vote for things like that vote for policies that increase their access to um public spaces and just living a normal life um so yeah that's all i got for now um but you know if i missed anything let me know and then my question to you guys is just like um what have been your observations of like transphobia and just like do you think what do you think can be done about it and and stuff like that um so i would say kind of add on to some things that we and our listeners can do um like if you see yourself as like you're not transphobic um make sure that you like check your friends and family (laughs) when they say transphobic stuff because I feel like you can't really call yourself transphobic or not you can't call yourself non-transphobic if you're not checking others for saying and doing transphobic stuff and I know Mm. um I mean and I don't want to speak to others for others, but just, like, in my, like, family and just, like, in a lot of, like, black families, um, there mm-hmm. are a lot of transphobic, homophobic, sexist beliefs yeah. by, like, our aunties and uncles mm-hmm. and grandparents. <laughs> yeah. And so when they, when they say some, oh. some shit at Thanksgiving or at someone's birthday, I think just, like, being more just, like, checking them on it and telling them, like, that's not true, like, that's not okay, like, don't say that. So, the issue I run into with family when I do that, though, oh, you millennials, y'all just <laughs> yeah. go for whatever, like, y'all, y'all just, that's what's wrong with y'all generation now, because y'all just think y'all can just do whatever you want, and blah, blah, So. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's tough. And it, like, makes me sometimes, like, shut down, like, and just feel, like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, kind of becoming, like, I think what someone will call it SJW or whatever, (laughs) like, type mentality. I'm definitely very feminist. Why is that bad, though? I know. Why why is social justice worker, like, bad? Like, that's a good thing. But, yeah, like, people hurl it at you like an insult or whatever. But, like. Having more of those, like, ideas and stuff. Sorry, I'm open-minded. Like, I think it's honestly, it's almost in some ways I feel like driven a wedge between me and family that yeah. it, that are still mm-hmm. stuck like that yeah. and I'm like damn Absolutely. like this is this is tough it's tough to deal with but mm-hmm. yeah I mean you gotta push forward yeah it's Absolutely. really it's really interesting to me um because I, I think past generations have gone through so much um over racism um and like and know know what being like the subject of hate feels like so it's really, it's really just like, if you kind of conceptualize that, and if you know what that feels like, mm-hmm. why would you want to do that to someone else? Right. Um, and so I think at that point, it's really just a lack of empathy. Um, like, they don't see that other person as human. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so they're able to really just discredit their experience. Yeah. Um, and I think about specifically as you were, as you were talking um, about you know trans women being murdered, I was thinking about there was this. I don't know how this person identified. I don't want to say they, um, but this person who appeared to be a man um, wearing women's clothing mm-hmm. in Savannah growing up, and I was very very young. Uh, they called this person Sissy Billy. Oh mm. God. Um, everybody knew this person around town. Yeah. Um, wow. And um, like be in public was very I don't know how comfortable the person was but um felt safe to like walk around and be in public mm-hmm. safe enough um and Sissy Billy was murdered oh god and, um and they they found this person kind of in an alleyway and had been shot and killed mm-hmm. um and so it, and it was just like oh that's weird like mm-hmm. I remember you know I was probably like nine or ten Because this is a person that she had actually grown up with, like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. known the family, and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, and have been around. Um, and so it's just really just, um, it's really sad how, you know, things like this happen, and there, there's not an outrage from the entire black community. So I, I really appreciate, right. Um, right, because you know, and not to minimize these things, but like when Trayvon was killed, or, or when Mike Brown was killed, or you know Sandra Bland there was this huge outpouring of support mm-hmm. and it doesn't really exist when trans women are trans women are killed right. um, and so I, I think that we we all have to be accountable to do better mm-hmm. um, and to be better allies um, so I, I really appreciate appreciate your, your segment Paula thanks one thing I didn't really bring up but you just reminded me of it Matt is just like trans panic and like the idea of like um, just finding out a person is is trans, and usually I hear it in the context of like, you know, a man, a, a cisgender man is like on a date or getting ready to have some kind of relation, sexual relations with a trans woman, and then like finds out that the person is trans and so kills them and a, a panic, yeah, a fit of rage, a panic and stuff, and that that's apparently an actual like legal defense that you can have um yeah like people get like really reduced sentences or get off or don't even serve any jail time because like trans panic is almost like you know just recognized yeah and so that's what i mean about this how would they feel if George Zimmerman used that as his defense i mean that's basically what he did do black panic yeah Yeah. He's so out and up. Oh, Lord. Which is amazing. Amazing. I'm like, for real? For real? Like, he's still, he's still, he he is still here. Talking about Beyonce. Right. George broke whore. He called Beyonce a broke whore. Literally the opposite of what she is. Like, the two furthest things from what Beyonce is. Because one thing Beyonce ain't is is broke, broke. bitch. Okay? (laughs) Let's talk about it. Especially compared to you, George. Okay? Do you even have a place to live? Ain't you homeless? Come on, George. Oh, man. Yeah. Sorry for the chance. No, it's okay. It's just, yeah. I didn't want to yeah. forget about That's the trans panic I, I saw thing, a yeah. post um, on Instagram, and they were talking about, okay, Florida High, 
y'all got a job to do. And y'all are canceled <laughs> until it's done. Mm. You know, the getting, beehive getting, fan pages get a little rowdy. Oh, beehive fans in Florida. I was really lost there. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm back on track. Back on track. Back on track, back on track. Yes. You were like, the bees in Florida. <laughs> Florida hives. I was like, Florida hives. <laughs> I was, then I was thinking about Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Florida man. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> Alright, okay. so thank you, Paula. Yes, um, for shedding light. So now Mercy is going to share with us some of her great knowledge and insights. <laughs> Bless us, Mercy. Thank, thank you for that um, intro, Matthew. So today I'm going to be talking about childhood trauma and its um, lifelong health effects, um, particularly, again, again um, on minority populations as well as members of the LGBTQ community. Um, I love this intersectionality we have going right. on. Right. <laughs> got all these little, I love it. Look at all that black wellness just coming together. <laughs> um, so basically there was a new study that was published recently um, that talked about how adverse childhood experiences um, which are defined as stressful or traumatic events that you experience in childhood, such as abuse, whether that's physical or sexual, emotional, um, divorce of your parents, um, death of a parent, um, having a mentally ill, incarcerated, or um, a family member with a substance abuse issue. Um, research shows that these people um, are more likely to develop chronic conditions later on in life, such as like heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, all the chronic diseases that are especially um, prevalent in the black community. Um, so the research came out and they used data from the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, which I'm sure you're familiar with that, Matthew. Yes, yes. I am. <laughs> it's it called Burfus or Burfus? Burfus. <laughs> Um, and so it said that about three out of five U.S. adults had at least one adverse childhood experience growing up. Um, and like most people, they say it's like pretty universal across the board. Like at least one per, you know, majority of people in the U.S. is going to have some type of traumatic or a stressful event in childhood because life happens and things get crazy. Um, but of course, um, people who have low income, low education level, minorities, and again, people of the LGBT community um, have a significantly higher chance of having adverse childhood experiences. Um, and based off what we already know about low income, low socioeconomic status, and minority populations, there are just other factors that go on in life that can cause these type of incidents, especially when you're dealing with parents and caregivers and things like that. Um, so these um, childhood experiences, again, later on in life, you're more likely to develop heart disease, cancer, bone fractures, 
chronic lung or liver disease, diabetes, and stroke. And it's basically, they're saying it's because of how your body responds to stress in general. Mm -hmm. So you're creating all this cortisol and just holding the stress. And so you get older and you're still kind of holding on to these experiences that one, you might not even realize that you're holding on to because a lot of people do tend to black out some traumatic events. Um, but you're still holding on to it like subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And so um, you end up developing these conditions as you get older. And they say it's particularly among um, minority populations and those who identify as bisexual. Um, it tends to be a bit higher because, or even they say even with biracial um, individuals because you, they tend to feel isolated. So they'll go through these traumatic experiences as children, but they don't really feel like they have anybody because they're already like, oh, you're different because you're biracial and you're not black enough for the black kids. You're not white enough for the white kids or you're, you know, gay or you're bisexual. So you're kind of alienated as is. So you just go through life and end up, it really impacts your health. Um, So I think the, the research that came out about that was really great because it just this is like the first time that it's really been linked in this type of way. Um, so now that can like begin new initiatives to really address this issue, which I think will be particularly helpful because again, like I'm saying, the black community, like with the added stress of racism, um, racism, because <laughs> what's the black health podcast without little talk about racism, racism you know? ad libs actually. <laughs> 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 we were like trying to force the Morehouse students to say specifically it. name racism. Oh, really? Stress. We're like, it starts with the R. Racism. But yeah, just the stress of racism. I mean, the stress of racism on the family that can cause, you know, broken homes. And then we know how black men or black people in general just. <laughs> Like Matthew oh, talks about, <laughs> you know, just like make up too many individuals in the prison system. And oh, then, okay. Uh, I thought you was gonna say like absentee dads or something. I mean that too. Uh, that too. <laughs> I, <thought you> <laughs> I don't think we have like a. I don't want to say that we have like a, a number of those, but I'm just saying. I mean, you know, that is an average child aren't, experience. The men are not in the households, unfortunately, for various reasons. That's literally that divorced parents are separated. Yeah, yeah, you said yeah, that. That's one of those parental so any separation. Parent, yeah, yeah. So any parent, I mean, you know, black black people, we have a high rate of single parent households. So that's one. Um, incarcerated family members, black men, are overpopulating the jails. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, and you know, abuse. So physical abuse, sexual abuse. We know in the black community, people don't like to talk about that creepy uncle who you're not supposed to be left alone with. But so, I mean, that's a contributing factor. So, I mean, just all of these different things. So now that we know that this is actually linked, like now we can go and develop programs and initiatives to really um, help children deal with these experiences in their life, teach them resilience. Um, I know, Khadija, you've been talking about like um, like resilience. Mm programs um you know mental health programs like just teaching kids how to cope with um different things that they experienced in their life which is just really important again I can't really emphasize it enough how important um programs like this 
are for the black community mm-hmm. because we don't really have them. And then mental health is a whole another issue that we don't like to address anyway. So when you have like a traumatic experience, it's just, oh, shake it off. You'll be all right. Don't talk about it. So it's like you're almost kind of forcing people to hold these type of things in. And it's killing us. We are already um, more likely to have poor health outcomes. So we just add it. We're starting it early. Right. I just really like, you know, when I first learned about, like, adverse childhood experiences, like, I was just so happy that there was, like, a term mm-hmm. for this because, yeah, I just hadn't, before I knew it existed, I just was, like, just never, you know, didn't know how to name that or, right. like, these all these different things. And so, like, now that there's a term for it, I think it can really be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and just all these different things that you listed, like, even, like, divorce and stuff. Like, right. that's something people are like, oh, get over that, you know? Right. Whatever. But, like, no, like, things, like, as a child, as you, you're developing, like... Yeah. You hold on to that yeah. thing. I, I remember, you know, when I was a child and my dad left the house, I thought it was my fault. Mm. Like, you know, and it's like... I remember, like, having that conversation with my mom and, you know, as I got older. And it's like, well, why would you ever think that was your fault, you know? But it's like, as a, a kid, you don't know what's yeah. happening. Like, you just know one day your parent is there and then the next day they're gone and they're not coming back home. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, whoa, mm-hmm. I must have did something. Damn it, it was because he told me not to go get that cookie and I ate it anyway. <laughs> Damn it, it's my body left. Like, you know? Yeah, which is that's sad. Yeah, I really, I really like this kind of area of study and kind of where, like, the convergence of all these fields, right? Cause, so you have public health, you have epidemiology, mm-hmm. you have pediatrics, you know, you have people studying biology and, like, physiology. Um, and I think it's just really cool for, like, <clears throat> the production of new knowledge, which will help people intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. In, you know, I, I remember a class that I had where we just talked about, we spent a whole discussion on like plasticity and like the way the brain develops Mm -hmm. right and so like when you're a child your brain is like plastic so like it can expand like mold it's still forming Mm -hmm. and it is impacted by chemicals Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have stress produces these chemicals and can prevent um, you know brain development in certain ways Mm. right and so you have children going through these stressful things stressful environments um, which I would say are endemic for a lot of poor people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they actually, from an early age, their brains are forming differently than people who aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we can find, I mean, it's a complex issue, right? It's really yeah. like, the question is like, how do you solve poverty, right? right. How do you, <laughs> how how do you solve poverty? How do you, how do you, you know, prevent, and I, I guess you can't prevent everything, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really about, the things that we can't control, like, um, you know, we can create safer communities. Like, mm-hmm. we can, um, you know, ensure that, you know, there are counselors in schools. Like, mm-hmm. we can do all these things that, um, like we were talking about earlier, that can promote resilience. Um, because, it, I mean, I think the brain is still forming, so things can also, there are things we can also do to encourage healthy brain development. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all, it's all really, really, really compelling, really interesting. And I, I think... The focus has to be on the kids, like, yeah. uh, which is which is good, but it's just like, damn, once I hit, like, 18, is it just done? Right. <laughs> like, no, you no just home. have to join therapy like yeah. the rest of us. No, and I was thinking about that, like, as you're talking about the, the stress and the cortisol levels and how that leads to... Um, 
these chronic illnesses like later in life and everything and I just think like people now I think number one what we can do now as adults who you know maybe dealing with um ever childhood experiences um get therapy mm-hmm. um and work through it as best as you can um but then also I think that there's just like a physical health component which is just like eating right and exercising and I think a lot of times we associate these things with dieting and trying to have an ideal body type or something like Mm -hmm. that like that's the reason we do we go to the gym um it's all about this you know image thing Mm -hmm. but like um you know I have a I was talking to like a friend of mine and she was just you know just really talking about her battle with like depression and anxiety and she was saying going to the gym and lifting weights like really helped her with her anxiety. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like, I don't know if I would necessarily diagnose myself or whatever with um, anxiety, but I just, I feel anxious at times. I just Mm -hmm. think that's a a thing that I think a lot of adults and maybe even where we like where I am in my twenties and stuff um, happens like, and I'm like, Oh, like, wow, I didn't really think about, like, I should hit the gym, and that'll help me, like, and especially that stress, like, working out helps you Mm -hmm. get rid of stress, and so it's, like, kind of, like, working against um, these these negative, um, these uh, negative things that have been going on, so um, you can, you know, have, like, a release. Yeah, a release, exactly, so. um, Yeah, I think that's, that's really that's really good to say because I think people treat health as like an outcome right? when health it's is really a, a process. It's yes. a lifestyle, right? Yeah. It's about maintenance. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not doing things to reach um, a certain point. Like you're doing these things to, to maintain yourself. Right. Um, y'all talking about y'all want to look like Angela Bassett when you're 60. <laughs> like, I mean, this is a lifestyle. Like you can't just be like, okay, I'm gonna go to the gym for six months until I go on this trip. And then the trip comes and you're done. You're back to eating and not working out how you were. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lifestyle. And it's, you don't, I think people get intimidated by it too because they think they have to do all this stuff like all the time. But it's a process. So, yeah, you know, start small. Start small. Yeah. Yeah. And it's emotional health as well. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, developing your emotional intelligence, going to therapy, mm-hmm. like all of those things are really important. Um, having friendships, connecting with people. Right. Um, not isolating yourself Mm -hmm. um and i just want to shout out dr nadine burke harris she's a pediatrician she's a black woman who's done some really innovative and novel research around average childhood experiences Mm -hmm. um and how they impact your like biology um and how they can start impacting your biology like when you're a child, like you can mm. already start showing mm. uh, adverse uh, health outcomes as a child from um, ACEs. And she has a book called The Deepest Well Healing the Long Term Effects of Childhood Adversity. Um, so, if you want to learn more just about her research and like just have a um, deeper understanding of what adverse childhood experiences are, and then a deeper understanding of the protective factors and the um, strategies to mitigate some of the effects of ACEs, then you should definitely read her book. Okay. And there's also an article posted on NPR um, about this topic as well um, called Childhood Trauma and Its Lifelong Health Effects <laughs> <laughs> Prevalent Among Minorities. <laughs> 
We'll put it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, we named... I was trying to like read upside down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we named a lot of resources today. Um, so we'll make sure all of those things are in the show notes. Um, I think that wraps up the Black Belt Podcast. Well, mm-hmm. I have one. Um... It does not black belt. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. I have, I have one footnote. All right. Therapy is lit, y'all. Go find you a therapist. Oh, for real? Okay, I'm going to get a therapy. Get in therapy, <laughs> bro. I look forward to my sessions. Oh, I like, love that. I'm so ready for Saturday. I'm like, ooh, I can't wait. Um, yeah, man, it's great. Like, it's just, I, I, we talked about it, like, on podcasts and things we've done before, but just really having that space to know that you can go somewhere for 45, 65, 75 minutes, however long your session is, and just talk about like as soon as I go in she's just like so girl what are we talking about today and I'm like girl let me tell you and then this happened and then I like you know and she's just like having an active listener like someone actively mm. listening to what you're saying because I feel like sometimes I'll get in there and I'm like rambling mm. and I'm like am I I'm talking too much I'm gonna shut up and she's like no keep going um back then you said something about this and this and this so why'd you talk about that? How was that? Well, how did that make you feel? And I'm like, oh snap. Okay, you just listening, girl. <laughs> and then like even like she gives me homework assignments, like based on things that we've talked about. Like, okay, well you talked about this a lot. So this is how I want you to move from today forward. Start doing this and we'll talk about how that's worked okay. worked for you when mm-hmm. you come back. And I think like a lot of things that she has been giving me to do, they seem very simple, but they make a difference. Wow. Okay. So yeah, y'all get you some therapy. And we have a lot of mental health navigation resources on our website. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. check it out. All the resources. And that website is blackhealth.com. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think it's spelled B L K H L T H. And our Instagram handle is spelled the same way. Yes. B-L-K-H-L-T-H. So follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, Check out our website. We have lots of resources, blog posts. Uh, You can find out more about the team. Um, As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Oh, I was going to say, leave us some reviews. um, Hopefully five star. (laughs) And comments on uh, iTunes. So, you know, we just know, we want to know what you guys are thinking about the podcast and what other subjects you might want to hear. Yeah, so let us know. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.